0: Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I hope to tackle the entire chapter this morning. Back in the fall, we looked at the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes. We took a break as we were looking at eldership, and then we uh, took some time to look at the, the Advent season, and then we paused and looked at our five distinctives as a church but we finally came back to Ecclesiastes a couple of weeks ago, and now we are in chapter nine. Of course, Solomon is 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 wrestling through, looking at life and going. It seems to be meaningless in so many ways, and he's looking for meaning. He's looking for a reason why we exist. And so it, it seems to be what's going on in the book. Ecclesiastes nine is no difference. So let's just pause to read it, but. All this I laid to heart, chapter 9, verse 1, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As a good one is, so is a sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil, in all that is done under the sun. But the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought Or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of men are snared at an evil time when suddenly it falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, He, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise, heard and quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. God, these are your words, they're not mine. I ask that you would be the speaker this morning. Your spirit would ignite these words and transform our hearts, adoring you, convicting us, transforming us, whatever needs to be done. Lord, would you do your work? Amen. As I was looking at this passage this morning... um, as Solomon continues his search, he's carrying on with it, even in this text. Notice at verse 1, but this all I laid to heart, examining it all. He's continuing to search for is there meaning in this life? You see him do the same again in verse 11. I again, again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift. And then again in verse 13 I have also seen this example of wisdom. You see, Solomon is, 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 is grappling with, he's looking for the, 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 the meaning of life. And we've looked earlier, like he tried everything. Whether it was money, whether it was, uh, whether it was um, pleasure, whether it was knowledge, whether it was uh, building things, he tried it all. He keeps coming to the same conclu- conclusion, this life is vain. So, following that um, outline, verse nine, uh, verse one, and then again in verse eleven, and again in verse thirteen, um, it seems that Solomon is, is 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 trying to help us again see the vanity of life. Now, notice in this verse one, Solomon he he, he doesn't he doesn't function as if there's no God. Solomon is not an atheist. He says, "But all this I laid heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God." That's it. That's important. Okay. The psalmist says, Psalm nineteen one, "The heavens declare the glory of God." Uh, the apostle Paul says in Romans chapter one, the, uh, "That what what can be known about God is plain, for His invisible attributes." Namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. You know, Solomon is is one who's wise. He recognizes that there is a God. Now, you, you might ask the question, well, if that's the case, if it's so plain, then why do so many go, I don't believe that there is a God? The Apostle Paul puts it this way. The reason is they suppress the truth. That that word suppress means to put to end by force. They say, like, there's no way that we're going to believe this. Regardless, Solomon believes that there is a God. But what Solomon seems to wrestle with in this passage is found in the second part of verse 1. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. He says, as I'm looking at this world around me, and even in our little context, right? Here's Ray. He's struggling with stuff. And, at the, and, and, at, and, and almost in the same breath, his sister passes away. Just in the last week, I've heard just some from, from you. Well, and some of our people who aren't here. Some of the the incredible difficulties that you've witnessed or been part of just in the last week. And Solomon is saying, "I, I believe there is a God, but when I look at the world around me, I'm going, does He love me or does He hate me? I don't know. That's what he's doing. Kidner suggests that that uh, Solomon makes three observations in this passage which seem to tip the scales in favor of God hating us. The first observation he makes is death itself. Did you notice? He says the same events happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil. The one who sacrifices is the one who doesn't, to the sinner and the one who's good what is that same event death we're all headed there it's a reality that we all live with we't um, we can't stop it it happens to us all but but I, I want you to notice in, in the text um, there, there's a little clue in verse uh, three. Second part of verse three. He says in verse three This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to us all, that event being death. But then he says also the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. Did you just hear that? The hearts of the children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts. Buried in this passage, Solomon comes to, um, comes to a point that he, he's actually articulated already in, back in chapter 7, verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Lynn just expressed the, the 13th question of the catechism. Does everyone perfectly obey God, his law? The answer is no. Solomon doesn't give us a fully orbed understanding of that, but he begins to recognize that that is true of all of us. But he says it's in our heart. He, he's not simply saying that we do bad things, but he says that we are bad. What he says here is exactly what Jesus has said, that it's not the things from the outside that, 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 that cause us to be sinful. We do sinful things because we do things that are wrong, because that's, that's, that's our heart. You don't have to teach a child to disobey. The Apostle Paul will later say, all have sinned. Because of that, the wages of sin is death. How'd this happen? Well, I think we know the story. Back in the garden, God had said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. They Adam and Eve ate of the tree. And already then in chapter 5, we have this genealogy of Adam's descendants, and there's this crazy, uh, monotonous kind of drumbeat that goes over and over and over and over again where he says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Already back in Genesis chapter 5, Romans says there's no one righteous wages of sin is death and, and then and so, so I think Solomon kind of captures that gets that uh, he, he recognizes that that we all die and he recognizes that we're all sinful but he doesn't actually put those pieces together and then in verses four through six notice what he's doing it seems like he believes or is talking like there is no there's no future there's no eternity did you, did you catch that as we were reading it? Look, let's look again, verse 4. It says, But he who is joined with all the living is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Just on the surface, it looks like Solomon is saying... Uh, there is no eternity but we know that's not true because in chapter three Solomon has said that, that God has placed eternity into man's heart verse 11. last week in chapter eight Solomon has said in verse um, in verse 12, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Those who trust God, it's going to be well with them. And and he's saying that in the context where some of the righteous die early and and some of the wicked live a long time. So he's he's, he's got this understanding that there is an eternity, but but you've got Solomon, he's moving from despair to hope Back to despair throughout this book. And, and, and help. Solomon doesn't have, Solomon doesn't have the, the entire scriptures like you and I had. There's a, there's a sense through scripture that God is progressively revealing to us things. Truths. Things about himself. Things about his world. Things about eternity. In the days of Jesus there was two religious groups. One was the Pharisees, the other was the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrections, and the Sadducees, they were Sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They actually come to Jesus with this this crazy story. Because in the Old Testament, if, 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 um, if, if your husband died then the brother of this man was supposed to marry this lady so that the the seed of the family or seed of this man could, could be carried on. So they wanted to set Jesus up, the Sadducees, and they said, well, suppose there was a, a lady whose husband dies and she marries the brother and, and that brother dies and so then she marries the next brother and and, and he has seven brothers and finally all seven brothers die and, and they, they're going to trick Jesus. They say to Jesus... Um, whose wife will she be in heaven? And Jesus' answer is very quick, very clear, there's no marriage in heaven. And then he says, by the way, the Sadducees actually believed that only the first five books of the the Old Testament were from God, and so they, they based everything from those five books. And so Jesus goes to the first five books of the Old Testament, and he shows them that even in the Old Testament, not as clear as we would like, But even in those first five books, that there is an eternity. And how does he do that? He says, because God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he says, he's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And so... So Jesus very clearly articulates from the first five books of the Bible that there is an eternity. And as you start moving through the Scriptures, you begin to recognize that there is an eternity. It becomes very clear in the, in the prophets, but it becomes fully clear in the days of Jesus. as Jesus very clearly talks about a hell, He talks about a heaven. Luke chapter 16, for example. But Solomon doesn't have that full, complete revelation. And he talks about eternity, but as he moves from despair to hope back to despair, he goes, he's wrestling with death. If one of your loved ones passes away, it's in those moments that, that, we struggle with life. We struggle with belief. We struggle with faith. We struggle with believing. Does God hate me or does he love me? And I think that's what Solomon is doing. you tracking with me? Scripture says that our, our circumstances seem to say that death seems to express that God doesn't love us. The scriptures make clear that we actually deserve death, every one of us, because death is because of the wages of our sin, and we're all sinners. But before we move on to the next passage, I want you to notice in verses 7 through 10, there's a glimmer of hope. Throughout this book, there's these little, little nuggets of hope. So in verse 7, he says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with a wife whom you love. He, he 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 expresses this little glimmer of hope. He's done this several times. Back in chapter 2, verse 24, he says, There is nothing better for a person than they should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. Th- these are gifts from God. And so in the midst of his despair and asking the question, Does God love me? He goes, but we've got these examples of God's grace and his love. He's given us gifts, whether it's food, whether it's wine, whether it's, whether it's family, whether it's even work at the end of verse 10. A glimmer of hope. We're going to come back to that verse, three verses uh, a little later. But now let's move to the second thing that seems to tip the scales towards God must not actually love us. Verse 11 and 12, Solomon again, he's looking. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent. He goes on, time and chance happen to them all. And he paints this picture, for man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, verse 12, so are the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I love that picture throw the net in the in the waters and 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 randomly one fish is caught and another fish gets away. He says just because somebody is wise doesn't mean he's going to have bread. Just because somebody is wealthy doesn't mean he's going to be intelligent or or vice versa. Intelligent doesn't mean he's going to be wealthy. It seems like there's so much chance in this world. He says death seems to speak that, that God is against us and and this, this this whole idea of chance seems to show that God must be against us. Does he hate us? I think that's the question he's asking. And then in verse thirteen, Solomon says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me. Verse fourteen he paints a parable. It was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came up and besieged it, building the great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. (laughs) The fickleness of humanity. Here's a guy, he saves the city that had no right to be saved because it was small and, 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 and wimpy, And a great king builds up the siege work and is about ready to destroy it. And and for some reason, this wise, poor guy comes up with a plan and they win the victory. And when everything's done, he's forgotten. The history's filled with people that have just forgotten. Done great things. I remember my mom, uh, near the end of her life, she says, um, she said something to the effect, Oh, I, I just want to be remembered. And I said, Mom, we'll remember you. And my mom was an amazing woman. Adopted six children. Um, she was collecting pension and actually collecting child's uh, tax benefits or whatever it was back then at the same time. She gave up on trips that she could have had as... Uh, all of her siblings, they were traveling back to the, the old country, and, and, and mom was still raising children. And, and she did that with poor health, and she continued to persevere. Uh, uh, her home was always filled with people as she was, as she was trying to speak into people's lives. Uh, Lynn noticed when, when she would go to church, often very weak, but she would w- stay after church, and she would make a beeline for three or four people that she knew she needed to encourage. That was my mom. But most people don't remember her. Well, there's 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 a few of us who do. The the, the fickleness of humanity. But then even in the, in the context, he goes, but it's better to be wise than it, to be a ruler. It's better to be wise than great. But yet even in that context, the last line in this chapter, he moves back to despair, but one sinner destroys much good. How many times have you been in a setting where things are really good and then there's just one bad apple and rots the rest of it? Whether it's a work environment or whatever, the, we, we've, we've all been in those places but then again remember what he said back in chapter in in verse 3 that the hearts of all of us are sinners and so hold it there's a sinner that destroys everything but the, but he's just told us that we're all sinners and scripture tells us that we're all sinners and what do we do with all this what do we do with this mess of chapter 9 Does God hate us or does he love us? Remember what he said in chapter 8, verse 12? Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, those who trust him. Remember what he said back in Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 24? There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil and... This also I saw is from the hand of God. There's glimpses in this book of God's grace. And even in chapter 9, there is. In chapter 9, verses 7 through 10, remember I said there's this glimmer of hope in those verses when he's talking about go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Gibson, in his wonderful little book on this book of Ecclesiastes, says, in these three verses, you have the language of a wedding. Did you hear that? In these three verses, verses 7, 8, 9, let's go into verse 10, you have the language of a wedding. You get the bread and the drink, and there's, 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 there's happiness and joy. The garments always are white. The, the oil is, is, is a, a cultural thing that they would do. And, and then on top of that, enjoy life with a wife whom you love. He says, this is a picture of a wedding. A wedding is a gift. In the, and in the midst of this broken and, and, and um, busted up world that we exist in, wedding is a gift. The Apostle Paul, some 1,100 years later, will say what in Ephesians? I just love Ephesians chapter 5. Let me go there. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, This husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Marriage is not an end in itself. Marriage, the relationship between a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman, was actually made by God to to portray and depict and be an image of something far greater than it is. A picture of the love of Christ for His bride, for the church, for the people of God, for sinners like me and you. How did Christ love us? How did he love the church? He died. He took our place. He paid our penalty. He went to the death that we should have and will experience. Book of Revelation, chapter 19, actually, chapter 18, chapter 19. Then again in chapter 20, it's it's, it's just a, it's, it's filled with judgment upon humanity. And some of the most gruesome pictures in all of Scripture are found in chapters 18, 19, and 20. Sometimes we, we, we talk about the God of the Old Testament being a, a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament just simply being a God of love. The, the truth is if you read Revelation, you see God's wrath, God's judgment very clearly. But buried in that text is a few verses in chapter 19. Let me just read, listen. Then I heard what what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Does God love us or hate us? Death is our own doing. But God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If I just look at the circumstances around me, If I just look at the sorrow in the lives of my neighbors and my friends. If I just look at the waves that are coming at me. If I just look at the pain in this world. Whether it's the virus that is spreading. Whether it's it's the the 13 uh, Canadians that were detained in Ethiopia. Whatever the situation. That's all I look at. Then I go... I don't know, does He love me or does He hate me? But when I pause to look at the cross, when I pause to remember that His body was placed upon that cross and His blood was shed on my behalf, there is no doubt that He loves me. Oh, He loves me. Oh, He loves you. On on this this very quiet Sunday here at community grace may you go home encouraged but he loves you he loves you let me pray Lord I it's true you love us it's true Lord there's there's so many times in in in, in my week that I go Lord what's what, what's happening what, what's going on? truth, Lord, is found in the cross, that you love us, may we marvel at that, may we marvel, be wowed, be amazed that you love us, in your precious name we pray.